Nazi roots in biology and genetics were embraced by their medical professionals with its advocacy of a eugenic program that ultimately led to the murder of European Jews. What ethical lessons can we learn from examining physicians' involvement with the Nazi regime and what they called racial hygiene for the greater good? You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and our guest today is Dr. Matthew Winia. Dr. Winia is director of the Institute for Ethics at the American Medical Association in Chicago, Illinois. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. To begin with, what has been the role of the AMA in collaborating with the traveling exhibit from the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum entitled Deadly Medicine, Creating the Master Race? Well, the relationship with the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. started from my end, at least, in about 2005 when they were putting together the exhibition for the National Museum. And the AMA's Council on Ethical and Judicial Affairs, the group here that writes the Code of Medical Ethics, it's a group of physicians, were invited to visit the museum and to see the exhibition before it had been mounted when it was still on what are called storyboards. And they walked through the storyboards and saw the material that would eventually become this special exhibition and then had a conversation with the curators and historians at the museum about how physicians were liable to respond and react to the material that would be in this exhibition. And one of the things that they walked away with was the notion that this exhibition, which at that time was just planned for the museum in Washington, D.C., was a very powerful set of information and a very powerful story and a very important part of the history of medicine and medical professionalism and medical ethics. And it really ought to get out into the larger medical community and not just those who happen to come to Washington, D.C. and be able to get to the museum. And so they asked me, I direct the Institute for Ethics at the AMA, and they asked us to partner with the museum to create a traveling slideshow, which we could then take out to Grand Rounds and to other venues around the country. And we did that in around 2006 through 2008. We visited about 20 different medical schools, a large number of other institutions, universities, and other programs. We presented the material with an ethicist from the AMA and a senior historian from the Holocaust Museum in D.C., and we traveled around the country. We, and in fact, we also traveled to Israel and did the presentation for the Israeli Medical Association. And the idea there was that we wanted to help the museum get the word out about this exhibition and about the material in the exhibition and how important it was for all of the medical profession to understand this history and the obligations of remembrance that fall to all of us as medical professionals because so much of what happened in the Nazi regime was predicated on pseudo-scientific medical ideology, you know, racist ideology, but that was framed in terms of medicine and public health. Well, we know that in the 1920s and 30s, Germany, if not the first, was certainly at the pinnacle of the scientific world. Who were the doctors that this exhibit portrays? Were they monsters? And if so, what lesson do you learn from that? But more importantly, if they're not monsters, how do they support this program? Yeah, that's such 
a good question because in part that that question draws out the difficulties that I have experienced personally in trying to learn from this material. Because frankly, what these doctors ended up doing was so heinous, so horrific, that it is impossible not to come away from any examination of this history with the understanding that these were monsters. They did monstrous things that can never be justified. And yet, as you point out, if you look at where Germany was leading into the Nazi era, the doctors who became involved in this, some of them were you know, leaders in the world. The German regime in general, the German medicine medical community was at the forefront of most areas in medicine and especially areas around public health and epidemiology. They detected correlations between smoking and lung cancer. They looked at asbestos in lung cancer. They had public health programs encouraging women to examine their breasts for lumps. They banned smoking in public places. They had very good codes of ethics for uh, the conduct of human subjects research even. In many ways, you know, the German medical model for training doctors was what we were using by that time following the Flexner Report in 1910, which essentially told the American medical community that the German model was the optimal way to train doctors. And by the way, at that time, Germany in the 1930s held half of the medicine Nobel Prizes that had ever been rewarded. So they were very much at the forefront, and it really leads to this question of how does the German medical community move from the forefront of the world's medical community in really just a few years move to these monstrous crimes? That is the challenge that sits in front of all of us because that slippery slope, if you will, is where we need to look to build clear barriers so that we never fall there again. Well, then were there national goals political goals that allowed or influenced these healers to make this transition from a healer to a killer? There absolutely were national goals, and it's not entirely clear to me, at least. I'm not an historian, but from my work with the museum on this, it's not clear to me that we could fairly say that those goals were imposed on the medical profession, because in many ways, the profession created the goals. It was a doctor who recommended to Hitler the final solution should be carried out. So the idea that a political regime came to the medical profession and said, tell us how to do this, isn't entirely the case. The medical profession was integrally involved in creating those racist national goals and developing the mechanisms to implement those racist national goals. So it's even more complicated than you might like, because I think many of us would like to believe that doctors are inherently good people who seek the best for humanity. And somehow that very belief was perverted so that some of these doctors came to believe that the best for humanity meant killing a lot of people in order to cleanse the genetic pool. And that transition from seeking to promote the public health by helping people live healthier lives, by seeking to discourage them from smoking and not drinking while they're pregnant and these other very innovative public health programs for the era. But there's a big difference, obviously, between helping people to live healthier lives versus looking at the community and saying, these people in the community are leading to an impure genetic pool and therefore they need to be eliminated. 
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Focus on Disaster Medicine and Preparedness on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and our guest today is Dr. Matthew Winia, Director of the Institute for Ethics of the American Medical Association in Chicago, Illinois, and we're discussing ethical lessons learned from medicine in the Nazi regime. If you read about this, Germany is often compared to a healthy body. And the target group, whether they are Jews, this being fueled by a virulent anti-Semitism, gypsies, homosexuals, or the disabled, are often viewed as subhuman, a virus, a disease, a tick. How is this used, this metaphor used to convince the public that this is the right thing to do when racial hygiene became so popular in Germany? The imagery that is displayed in the exhibition, Deadly Medicine, Creating a Master Race, is so very powerful in part because it shows how that ideology and that, if you will, that sort of conceptual framework for understanding Germany, not merely as a nation, but as a body politic, literally as a body an organism that can have a disease is very prominent in many different ways. There are cartoons that were in biology textbooks. There were illustrations that showed up in newspapers and magazines. There's an image at one point that they show in the exhibition of Adolf Hitler with a little girl and a sort of field in the background and across the bottom it says, Adolf Hitler, doctor of the German people. And the idea here is that you can have a society which is either strengthened by having more healthy, strong peoples or is weakened by being infected with unhealthy, weaker peoples. And they move over a period of a few years from programs that primarily seek to ensure the health and well-being of individuals whom they see as being desirable to pretty quickly saying, but in addition to building up the health and well-being of the desirables, we're going to start to get rid of the undesirables, the what they often call useless eaters, so disabled individuals who, for whatever reason, are not making the contributions to society that they deemed necessary to make it worthwhile supporting you. And incidentally, these images are not purely Nazi images, and they're not purely from Germany. There are remarkable similar images that were presented in the United States and in other countries around the world. Remember, the 1920s and 30s was an era in which the notion of eugenics was quite common and was supported by the medical community worldwide in many instances. Not universally, obviously. There were people who recognized the dangers of that as an ideology, but it was seen as mainstream medicine, if you will, the notion that eugenics could eventually create a stronger human race. That was not purely a German thought, and in fact, the Germans referred often to work that was done here in the United States under the guise of uh, eugenics programs, and we had uh, forced sterilization programs in the U.S., just as they had in Germany, and both countries referred to the other as model programs for their own work. If I can return to a statement you made earlier, it was about remembering. With a decreasing number of 
survivors of the Holocaust, people who actually have experienced it. The need to remember becomes not only important to Jews, but to, I think, the whole world community. And could you comment on why, and especially your profession and my profession? Yeah, I think there is a risk with this kind of history that it is seen as, if you will, Jewish history, and that Holocaust remembrance is a matter for Jewish physicians and Jewish people in general. And I think that would be a terrible misreading of what actually took place and who needs to remember it and who needs to be uh, forever alert and aware of the risks. And in many respects, the failures of the German medical profession, in almost every respect, were not failures of the German Jewish medical profession. They were failures of the medical profession much more broadly. And in fact, they were failures of the medical profession internationally as well. And so I really feel that it is an obligation, the obligation of remembrance falls to all medical professionals. We all need to understand this history and what happened to our profession that led it to be used as a tool for evil. And I guess that was one of the first things that came out of the mouths of the AMA's Council on Ethical and Judicial Affairs when they first saw this exhibition way back before it was actually mounted in the museum. When they walked through this history, they said, this is something that every medical student ought to see, not just those who happen to show up at the museum. This is a critical part of the history of American medical ethics and international medical ethics. And so we've done, you know, what we can to try and get this information out and into the curricula at medical schools and residency programs nationwide. Now, Hitler certainly believed that he would never be able to carry this off unless he was involved in a war. And now as our country struggles through two wars, there must be, in all our minds, a certain relevance to what we've been talking about. As we've learned and must remember, our profession was certainly integrated into Nazi ideology, which had a really perverted view of science and public health. Therefore, as you've said so well, therefore the lessons of the Holocaust are not only part of Jewish history, but are lessons for all of medicine. And I want to thank you for joining us, and we've been talking to Dr. Matthew Winnie. Dr. Winnie, thank you again for being our guest today. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. And as always, thank you for listening. <music>